Hey folks, coming in hot with a little ad uh, for myself in my upcoming book. If you like this podcast, you are definitely going to like the book I wrote based on it. Unruly Figures, 20 Tales of Rebels, Rule Breakers, and Revolutionaries covers several people that I've never covered on the podcast. From queens of piracy in the Mediterranean to rebellious artists in New York to aboriginal resistance leaders in Tasmania, this book is full of rebellious folks you may have never heard of. It comes out wherever books are sold on March 5th. Pre-order it now. Link is in the show notes. This podcast is supported by Ritual. So, y'all, remember how I was in the hospital back in July? Well, it's time for me to admit that it was because I ate bad sushi. So embarrassing. I should have listened to my gut and not bought sushi at that random grocery store. Afterward, my stomach was so messed up from like weeks of antibiotics that I knew I needed to get a new probiotic added to my regimen. That's when my friend told me about Ritual Vitamins. They have Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one clinically studied prebiotic, probiotic, and postbiotic that can help support a balanced gut microbiome. I started taking Ritual right away, and the upset stomach that I was getting most afternoons went away. I love that Ritual packs so much good stuff into one minty capsule. And these vitamins don't need to be refrigerated, so it's like really easy to take with you when you travel, and y'all know I travel a lot. It's time to listen to your gut. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide, your insides. Ritual is offering my listeners 30% off during your first month. Visit ritual.com backslash unruly to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com backslash U-N-R-U-L-Y for 30% off. Hey everyone, welcome to Unruly Figures, the podcast that celebrates history's greatest rule breakers. I'm your host, Valerie Castellanos-Clark, and today I'm covering Petra Herrera. She lived during the Mexican Revolution and briefly disguised herself as a man named Pedro to fight for Pancho Villa. This is sort of a special episode for me because I discovered Herrera while I was researching one of the chapters in my upcoming book. If you like this episode and you enjoy stories about brave female fighters, you're going to like my books. The pre-order link is in the show notes. I would be so honored if you pre-ordered. But before we jump into Petro Herrera's life and how she fought for a better Mexico during the early 20th century, I first have to thank all the paying subscribers on Substack who helped me make this podcast possible. Y'all are the absolute best and this would not still be going without you. So if you like this show and you want more of it, please become a paying subscriber over on Substack. When you upgrade, you'll get access to exclusive content, merch, and behind-the-scenes updates on the upcoming Unruly Figures book. So when you're ready to do that, head over to unrulyfigures.substack.com. Now, unfortunately, we know very little about Herrera. Even estimates of her birthday are generally, like, late 1800s, question mark? My guess is that she was probably born around 1890 in Chihuahua, a Mexican state that borders Texas. This is based solely on the fact that she entered the Mexican Revolution there, and at that time, a lot of people joined up when the military kind of like came calling in their hometown. From what I've read, it doesn't seem like people traveled far to join the Mexican Revolution, they just kind of answered the call of the traveling revolutionaries. A lot of people also joined the revolution in their late teens or 20s, so a birth date around 1890 would put Petra around 23 years old when she joined the revolution, which is possibly even kind of older than might be normal. So Herrera entered the world stage with a boom during Pancho Villa's uprising against the dictatorial president of Mexico, Porfirio Diaz. 
Diaz and his three decades of rulership known as Porfiriato were a time of great modernization of Mexico, but also really repressive rule. It's seen as a, quote, progressive dictatorship, two words I never thought I'd string together until I started learning about Central America during this time. So Pancho Villa, who really deserves his own episode here one of these days, had started life as a bandit, but then became inspired by Francisco Madera, the losing candidate in the clearly farcical election which Diaz won, or, you know, quote-unquote, won, in 1910. After being accused of, like, fomenting revolution, Madera barely escaped Mexico with his life. From his refuge in San Antonio, Texas, Madera wrote the Plan de San Luis Potosí, in which he declared himself the legitimate president of Mexico, and also called for an uprising to begin on November 20th, 1910. Villa became one of the leaders of this revolution, calling for supporters and fighters from Chihuahua, Mexico. They were instrumental in pushing Diaz out of power and making Madera president of Mexico. But things did not calm down. For reasons kind of too complicated for our purposes right now, Madera was overthrown as well and assassinated on February 22nd, 1913. His assassin, Victoriano Huerta, became the new president. Disgusted by this, Villa teamed up with Emiliano Zapata and Venustiano Carranza to overthrow Huerta. He controlled um, the Division del Norte, the northern part of the army, right on the border with the U.S. This might actually be part of why we know about Petra Herrera. Because Pancho Villa was so close to the U.S. border, he attracted a lot of, like, <laughs> I mean, like, looky-loos, basically, from the U.S. Like, a lot of his revolutionary exploits were captured by Hollywood filmmakers who, like, brought their cameras to film this revolution and had, like, a contract with him. <laughs> anyway, so this led to a lot of photos of soldaderas, women who followed the revolutionary army to cook, clean, nurse, and otherwise provide for the men who, like, quote-unquote, actually fought. And it's worth noting that the soldaderas were treated poorly by the soldiers they supported. They were often recruited by force and then had to walk while the men rode horses, or if they were lucky, they rode on top of trains while men sat in the shade inside. They, quote, suffered rape, rejection, and victimization to such a degree that in 1925, Secretary of Defense General Joaquin Amaro ordered them expelled from the barracks. Um, most of them had grown up in poverty, even misery, and they remained miserable during the revolution, even the ones who had come by choice because they were following their, like, quote-unquote, men to war. In stories about the war, they are often romanticized. Quote, men would write songs about las soldaderas, emphasizing their femininity and overt sexuality in order to diminish their military contributions and accomplishments. But the reality of their lives was, like, far from romantic. However... Some women joined the revolution not to support the men, but actually disguised as men to pick up weapons and fight. It seems like during the actual revolution, these women, when their true identities as women were outed, um, they were seen as a different group than the soldaderas. With time, the two groups have become lumped together as part of an effort to dismiss how important female fighters were in the Mexican Revolution. Today, some scholars are trying to wrest them apart again because they occupied very different roles during the actual revolution. Now, Petra Herrera was one of these women. 
Most accounts agree that she joined Pancho Villa's um, revolutionary army in Chihuahua around 1913. It is possible that she joined earlier, maybe in like 1911, but she enters the historical record very definitively in 1913. She joined up disguised as a man and called herself Pedro Herrera. She would even pretend to shave every day to keep up the act. She quickly established herself to be an excellent marksman, a reliable leader, and, you know, really good at blowing up bridges. <laughs> According to anthropologist Laura Lee Cummings, Herrera and her troops used, quote, grenades made of the sacks from goat testicles, filled with shrapnel and gunpowder with a fuse. That she was great with explosives is something that is mentioned by almost everyone who writes about her. And I love that for her, because for some reason, women are always associated with, like, quieter forms of attack and murder, but it seems like Herrera was like way too big of a personality for that, and I like that. Now, many women disguised themselves as men during the war, and they usually tried to stay disguised because it was safer to be perceived as a man in the face of marauding soldiers in the countryside, if you catch my drift. But Herrera's disguise didn't last long. Once she felt that she had earned the trust of her fellow soldiers, she let down her trademark long braids and declared, I am a woman. They accepted her, apparently unanimously. Now, in January 1914, according to Atlas Obscura, the newspaper Mexican Herald published, quote, Rebel leaders here were pleased to receive the first report from Peda Herrera, a young Mexican woman who is commanding a force of 200 men in the state of Durango. She holds the rank of captain in the rebel army, end quote. Now, I think this is really like an incredible piece of historical documentation. Like the fact that this newspaper is acknowledging that she is a woman and she holds the rank of captain in the rebel army, like that's awesome. So a few months later, she and her troops were part of Villa's fighting force in the second Battle of Torreon, which they won after weeks of like brutal fighting in March and April 1914. Villa did not give her credit, and her name doesn't appear in any official record of the fight. But another soldier reported that Herrera, quote, was the one who took Torreon. She turned off the lights when they entered the city. He placed her at the front line of the battle. In a later corrido, a type of Mexican traditional song that focuses on storytelling, names Herrera as a leader of the battle. It goes, quote, On the 14th at midnight, they entered with great violence, Petra Herrera in front, straight to the presidential office. Apparently, Herrera was caught and imprisoned by enemy forces during this battle. According to the song, she was taken to General Emiliano Lojero and defiantly said to his face, quote, Viva Madero. It's unclear how she got free. I like to think that she escaped rather than was released. Um, but it's also possible that because of her gender, Lojero totally underestimated her and let her go because she was quote-unquote just a woman. Regardless, we know that she did get free from enemy forces because another song extols her fighting at a battle in May of that year. The corrido titled Corrido del Combate del Quince de Mayo Antorion. Sorry, I don't know why I said that in Spanish. I could have just translated it for you. Corrido, it's um, the story of the combat of the 15th of May in Torreon. Um, it also names Herrera as a great military leader, saying, The valiant Petra Herrera to battle she entered, always being the first to start the exchange of fire. Long live Petra Herrera, long live the Mararistas. According to the author Maria Herrera Sobek, um, only three other corridos include named women in actual battle scenes, so it's a pretty big deal that she's named in two different songs. However, 
none of this was enough for Via. He never made Herrera a general or gave her real power within his army. This in spite of the fact that her success at Torreon gave Via access to quote, heavy artillery, a half million rounds of ammunition, armored rail cars, the works. Instead of promoting her, he basically patted her on the head and then took all the credit. I mean, she must have been fuming. Now, it's unclear exactly when things changed, it, but it seems like soon after Torreon, Herrera left Villa's army and established her own independent force of all women. The numbers range wildly, with estimates from 25 women to 1,000 women, all fighting in this fight against Huerta. This number probably genuinely varied with time, but whether it was 25 or 1,000, it's kind of astounding either way. I mean, it sounds like they were their own independent force, doing exactly what Pancho Villa and Venustiano Carranza were doing, waging a revolution. Herrera was reportedly very protective of her female soldiers. Men were not allowed to stay the night, and she personally stayed up late on guard duty, where she used, quote, any wayward male soldier that tried to get in as target practice. It's possible that it was this all-female battalion that fought in the Battle of Zacatecas in late June 1914. They, quote, held the firing line on the road that led out of the city, ensuring that federal troops couldn't get away. Apparently, quote, anyone who went there died there. At some point, Herrera began to support Venustiano Carranza. He and Villa had begun as allies, but by 1917, they were enemies. Maybe this was when Herrera began supporting him. He would then go on to become president of Mexico on May 1st, 1917. But Carranza was pretty moderate politically and rather conservative socially. When she had an audience with him and once again requested to be promoted to general, he refused. He recognized Herrera's brave efforts during the war and made her a colonel in his army. It's unclear if she was a colonel in the National Army or if this was like a post-dated colonel in his revolutionary army. And I make that distinction because just as quickly as he made her a colonel, he forced her and all of her female soldiers to retire. Just like that. According to one observer, they were dismissed, quote, because it was an army of women. Now, details get a bit murky again here. We know that Herrera wasn't done trying to make Mexico better, and she apparently still believed in Carranza's leadership. Instead of going home and leading a quiet life, she put her skills with a disguise to work, and she became a spy for Carranza against Pancho Villa, who was still like rabble-rousing in northern Mexico. She moved to Jimena Chihuahua, a Villa stronghold, and became a bartender in a popular bar for Villa supporters. There, she collected intelligence and presumably reported it to someone. Now, I have questions about how someone, like, logistically becomes a spy for a leader who has dismissed them. I mean, who is she reporting to if Carranza has fired her? My bet is that she was not exactly fired, but just given a different job. The fighting was calming down at this point, and he might have thought that she was more useful with her ear to the ground back in what may have been her hometown. If she was originally from Jimenez or the area, it would make perfect sense for her to return there and resume a quote-unquote normal life. It's unknown how effective her spying was. Unfortunately, she died soon after moving to Jimenez. One day at the bar, the exact day is not recorded, three drunk men shot her. 
We're not sure why they shot her. Were they some of Pancho Villa's soldiers who recognized her and knew that she had betrayed Villa? Had they caught her listening and realized she was a spy? Was she just trying to break up a drunken brawl and got caught in the middle of it? Like, we really don't know. But she died of her injuries. Her doctor blamed her death on infection and, quote, fear of her attackers. To me, that makes it seem like she died undercover. Clearly, the doctor didn't know who he was treating, or he wouldn't be saying that Petra Herrera died of fear. Unfortunately, she's not well-remembered today. And in fact, a lot of female soldiers are not well-remembered in Mexico. There's a lot of effort by modern Mexican feminists to change this, but they're up against a century of erasure and minimization and over-sexualization of these very brave women. Mexican society was quite conservative at the time that these women were fighting, and so their choice to go against expected norms of proper female behavior led to them being demonized in other ways. They're often portrayed as having loose morals or maybe being a little crazy, and definitely not worth remembering or especially not idolizing. Scholars like Elizabeth Salas are helping to change that through their studies of soldaderas and female soldiers. And again, if you liked this story, I talk about another Mexican revolutionary in my book, Unruly Figures, coming out on March 5th, 2024. You can pre-order it wherever books are sold. That is the unfortunately really short story of Petra Herrera. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can let me know your thoughts on Substack, Twitter, and Instagram, where my username is unrulyfigures. If you have a moment, please give this show a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It really does help other folks discover the podcast. This podcast is researched, written, and produced by me, Valerie Casayanos-Clark. My research assistant is Nico Angel Gargiulo. If you are into supporting independent research, please share this with at least one person you know. Heck, start a group chat. Tell them that they can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts. But for ad-free episodes and behind-the-scenes content, come on over to unrulyfigures.substack.com. And if you'd like to get in touch, send me an email at hello at unrulyfigurespodcast.com. If you'd like to send us something, you can send it to P.O. Box 27162, Los Angeles, California, 90027. Until next time, stay unruly. Unruly.